Well, if you'll stand with me this morning as we read uh, Psalm 119, I believe this is the word the Lord has for us this morning. We're going to read the whole thing. Oh, no, I'm teasing. We're just going to read the first eight verses. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. Lord, I pray this morning that we would be encouraged to seek you with all of our hearts, that we would be encouraged to love your word, to love you because you are the giver of your word. Lord, that your word would be life and light to us, that it would draw us to yourself and give us a hunger and thirst to know you each and every day. Lord, I pray that your spirit would refresh in us a understanding of your word. Lord, that your spirit would speak through me to your people. Lord, I pray you'd give me clarity and uh, wisdom in the way that I speak and that your words would be spoken this morning. Lord, prepare our hearts to receive your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I've, I feel like we should start another series. I know you're probably like, well, can we just have a few messages in between? Uh, I kind of felt that way myself, but, um, I think we'll do, maybe not stay in Psalm 119 the whole time. We'll probably go do Psalm 119 one week and then something else the next or wherever the Lord leads, but I, I really, believe Psalm 119 has something that is very necessary for the church today. There is so little understanding of God's Word in the world, and especially, unfortunately, the church. It's amazing how little God's Word actually is applied to the Christian life as we define Christians in the United States. Very little is thought about how do we ethically and morally apply God's Word to our lives. Because God's Word is not in us. It's not something that flows out in our actions. It's just something we read on Sunday morning or maybe Wednesday night or once or twice a week. It's not something we rejoice in anymore. And that is something that is very difficult to deal with in our world. We have so many who speak things, they they want to argue for things that are not true, but no one knows God's Word anymore, so they can't refute the lies of Satan. Instead of looking to God's Word for a blessed life, they're reading Men like Joel Olstein, and I'm going to name a name. <laughs> He's not the only one. There are plenty of self-help Christian writers out there who are proclaiming 
as truth the lies of Satan. It's like I, I was reading a book that was really a good topic. The topic was good, and he had a lot of good points, but he was intermixing so much of the world into his argument for what men need that in reality he wasn't drawing men to Christ as much as he was drawing men to be manly by certain definitions, whether they come from the Word or not. And while that book was helpful in some ways, there was a lot of garbage I had to sift through just to get a little bitty bit of something to eat. And so it's made me think a lot about how we see the Word of God, how we taste the Word of God. Is it really everything to us? Is it the way that we are to know God? Or is it just one of those books that we leave on the shelf and we crack open and hope that one day we'll finish? How many of you have books like that on your bookshelf? Yeah, I do too. I have books on my bookshelf I've never cracked open, but bought them with the intention of opening up. But the difference between those book and this is this is the Word of God. This is inspired by God. This is the life-giving Word. This is the bread of life. Yet we treat it like any other book that can just be set on the shelf, collect a little dust. Maybe we throw it in our cars after church on Sunday, and then we pick it up Sunday morning when we come in. I don't know. I don't know what your life looks like at home. But last time I checked, well, some of you may not do this. I know there was a point in time when I didn't eat breakfast, but... You don't have to be told to eat what you need to live. Yet, with the Bible, when somebody tells you to read the Word of God, you're like, oh, you're being legalistic now. That's our response, right? I don't want to be legalistic. But is this life? Is this what we need to live? Do we need God's Word to fill us, refresh us? And help us to know Him? Is He our life or is He just a side affair that we play around with? And you're probably thinking, what in the world does this have to do with what we just read? Well, because for the psalmist, Psalm 119 is like a poem of love to God and His Word. The way that he describes God's Word is like someone would describe something they love with all their heart. He delights in God's Word. And that's what you see throughout Psalm 119. That's why I want to preach this. I want it to be preached one so that I would love the Word of God like he does. Because I know that I don't. I read this and I think, wow, oh, that I would feel that way. That my heart would be moved like David. That's why I'm preaching it, because I believe that if God 
gives us this delight in His Word, there will be change in your life, in my life, and in this church. We'll begin to see a revival. Revival starts with prayer and then the Word of God affecting our lives. It's not just some subjective experience that ends and maybe some people hold on. You know, I, I love going to camp as a teenager because I would encounter people there who loved the Lord as much as I was longing to and wanted to. But the problem was I was looking forward to that, and then guess what happened when I'd get home? I didn't get in the Word. I would maybe get in the Word for a week or two weeks, but there wasn't a lifestyle that said, you know what, I love you, Lord. And so in a month or two, that that joy that came from being with other believers my age who wanted to serve the Lord would wane. And then I'd be looking for, okay, wait till camp so I can get excited about the Lord again. And I realized I was chasing experiences. I was chasing an experience when God was calling me to a daily walk with Him, not a once a year experience. And I'm not dishing, dissing camp at all, okay? <laughs> I am thankful that God has things like camp to inspire our hearts to go after Him. But if we go it doesn't matter that. Maybe it's a conference or a, a group of people that you like spending time with because they draw you to the Lord. But if you are only looking to, forward to those experiences as a means of getting to know God, we have the wrong delight. Not that we shouldn't delight in God's people, we should. But if we don't delight when we sit down to read the Word of God in Him, What's going on? Do we see the value that David sees in the Word of God? Is it more precious than silver and gold to us? Is your life so busy chasing silver and gold that you have no time to spend in His Word? Or maybe it's fame power, who knows. But I don't believe the psalmist wanted people to forget this psalm. I'll tell you why. Some of you probably already know this, but Psalm 119 is so long because it is a an acrostic poem. I don't know if you know what that means, but... The first, every eight verses is an, every verse of eight verses starts with the first alphabet, letter of the alphabet. So verse one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, they all start with alf, aleph, which is the first Hebrew letter. And then verses nine through sixteen start with beth, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so on and so forth. So you go through all 22 Hebrew letters and eight verses per letter. 
So if anybody asks you what Psalm 119 is, and you can do math, don't look at me, multiplication tables, 22 times 8, and you have the answer without even looking at Psalm 119. We need Laura to to pipe in the number, but that's why there's so many verses in Psalm 119. And I believe that David wrote it this way so that people would remember. You know how we do those things with kids? Songs so that they'll remember a, a Bible verse or... Well, I believe David was doing this so that people of God would remember these this psalm specifically. Because they could just go, oh, this Aleph, oh, this Bet, this Dalit, Gimel, whatever the the letter is. So we're just going to do sections based on a letter of the alphabet as we go through this series. So this morning we're doing the Aleph series of verses. And it's not surprising that David starts out with blessed, or as translated here in the NASB, how blessed Why? In this world, what is the most Christian way to describe a good Christian or, in his time, Jewish life? Was it power, fame, fortune? No. Was it happiness? Joy? Peace? No, there's actually a word that describes those things together. Blessed. Blessed is the best state that anyone can be. Why? Because what happens if you're blessed? That means that you have a relationship with God where He blesses you. You're not blessing yourself. You are a blessed person because God is choosing to give you all that you need for life. That's why David loves blessed. Just think about Psalm 1. If you'll look with me really quick. That's how he starts, or the book of Psalms starts, right? How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his delight, or in his law, he meditates day and night. This theme of Psalm 119 that you will see throughout this chapter is starting in chapter 1. Then he describes him in in chapter 1. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither no matter what comes its way. I don't know what could be better in the hard times than to know that my leaf does not wither. Because if you go out west, especially in the last few months, It has been hot, 
and maybe a picture of hell in heat. Maybe judgment of God. I don't know. It's interesting the places that are especially hot. But 120 degree temperatures in some places. Places like Seattle that don't know what heat is are suffocating from the humidity caused by this heat. And I'm pretty sure there's some trees in those areas that are withering. They're not surviving. You know what survives and thrives in the desert? Cactuses. Why? They store up so much water and they draw every bit of water from the soil around them and they survive the heat and the cold. It says, in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. So here we have how blessed or blessed are those. It's not just one man now. He's talking about all those, everyone who does what? Whose way is blameless. This word can mean road. Just like in the Greek, the word for way is the word that is also translated road or path or the way that you travel. It's interesting that early Christianity was considered the way. Right? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So how blessed are those who way is blameless? Or this, this word blameless can be better translated whole or complete or innocent. Which brings a lot of questions to light. You mean God actually calls us to holiness? Oh, I'm surprised you all haven't got up and left. That's not a popular message anymore, right? To live holy lives? No, that's, that was, Jesus did that and we just, you know, we just live life and remember we said a prayer when we were 10 and we're okay. I mean, look at the world around us. Many, many people calling themselves Christians. Or what gets me is Christian artists doing collab um, albums with heathen unbelievers. Or maybe not even collab albums, but they're doing songs with these people. I'm not going to name a name. She's kind of a famous country singer. But she's really famous for singing some really good hymns. And everybody, oh, she's such a good Christian gospel singer. I'm thinking, have you heard her other songs? I'm not saying she doesn't have a good voice because she does. That's not the issue. The issue is, where is the spirit of that coming from? 
In our world, we, we assume, well, if she can sing a good Christian song, she must be one. I just read the other day, I didn't realize this, a, a Christian, Christian artist, uh, last year walked away from the faith. And all his arguments against Christianity could have been found in God's Word. He, he wanted answers, but guess what? He never looked to God's Word. He was looking to other people to explain and argue for God. He actually sounded a lot like Job and his friends trying to defend himself. How dare God ask us to walk blamelessly? That doesn't mean, I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but I do believe that we should live in victory. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we could live in constant Sin. But those who are blessed, they walk in a way that is blameless. They walk in God's ways. How do they do that? How is it possible that they can Walk blamelessly. Well, what does it say next? Who walk in the law of the Lord. You know how they stay blameless? They're walking in the law of the Lord. How in the world would they know how to walk in the law of the Lord? Do they just let everyone else read it to them? Do they let others... Interpret what God's Word means? Do they just sit around and and hope that by osmosis they'll become more like Christ? No. If you're going to walk in something, you figure out how to do it. So, for example, in my work, oftentimes people ask me to do things that I haven't done before. Do you think I just show up and figure it out? I've done it before. It's usually not a very good idea. It usually costs a lot more. It depends on the scope of what's being done. But generally, I actually go and watch YouTube videos, and I try to find people who write or, or do... I can tell that they're not just your jack leg guy that's trying to make something work that shouldn't work or trying to make things happen that don't aren't supposed to instead i look for someone who looks like they're an expert that they've been doing it for years the way they talk you can tell when someone knows what they're talking about why because i want to do my job correctly. I don't want that customer to come back to me in a couple of weeks and be like, you did that and it's already leaking or you did that and it's we've got that problem already. Look, this, that, and the other. So I try to get information from the sources, the expertise. So if I have to do something that has to deal with painting, guess what? I'm not going to be talking to myself because I don't like painting. I call painters, or I call BJ, or whoever, 
someone that knows these materials so that when I get to the job, I can do it well. Yet oftentimes as Christians, we say we want to walk in a blameless way. We want to walk in the power of the Spirit with victory over sin, yet we're never looking to God's Word. We're not going to the authority. We're going to second-hand authorities. We read... I don't know if I should name this name. Kind of popular. I haven't read any of his books, so I should probably not say it, because I should read a book before I decide I don't like an author. But we read these very famous Christian writers, and what they propone, what they are putting out there is not God's Word. It is moralisms. It is behavior adjustment. It is not reliance on Christ and His Word. It is totally false because it creates an idol that is all about me. This whole self-help, self, um, I don't know what the word is. It's more popular in women's writing, but it's all about you. You, you, you fix you and then come. No. God is the only one that can fix you. You don't need to go veg on Netflix. You need to veg on God's Word. You might actually get nutrients from that. You might actually come away from a weekend encouraged and ready to fight the devil because this is a battle. This is not just games that we're talking about here. You want to walk with God? You want to be blameless before God? It's not going to be in the world. You're not going to find hope in the world and its principles and its teachings. You will only find it in God's Word. You want a Christian life that is actually practically being lived out? Go to God's Word. Stop trying to find alternate sources. I'm not saying I'm guilty. I love to read books about all Christian topics and even some other types of books. So I'm not, I'm not saying you can't read those things, but what I'm saying is where is your first source? Where are you going first to know the truth? Are you reading these Authors, good, bad, or terrible? Are you reading these authors and then taking what they say and then, oh yeah, that, that makes total sense. That's, instead of reading God's word and then finding these authors and be like, oh wow, that's what God showed me. I, I'm glad to have that confirmed. Instead of going into the text with all these ideas that are being fed you by who knows if the, the author's actually good. There, there are good ones out there. But we have to be careful as Christians that our primary source of life is God's Word, not a devotional by a famous Christian pastor. 
Right? I mean, everybody knows Charles Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. That's a really famous devotional, but I'm thankful for devotionals. They're helpful, but they should not be our primary source of knowing God's Word. They should be a secondary, additional source for knowing God's Word. I would encourage you, I know, I feel like I'm going to be preaching all day. Maybe I'm just going to have to break this up, this this first sermon up a little bit, but I want to encourage you all, as I am being encouraged myself to be more focused on getting in God's Word, listening to God's Word, spending time in God's Word, and for a moment to just step away from your favorite Christian podcasts, your favorite Christian books, your favorite news source even. I have found... Even some Christian music, just not that I'm against it, because on a nine-hour trip, you uh, you kind of need to change from just listening to the Bible read, especially when it's post-lunch and <laughs> your stomach's saying you should take a nap while you drive. But it's been encouraging to me just to see. In the last month or month and a half, maybe two months, almost two months, I was encouraged by a brother in Colorado to listen to the Word of God. So I bought a NASB reading, and I've been listening, and I'm somewhere... So in that amount of time, just in listening, in the car, mostly in the car, in a month and a half, I've already gotten to like the 30th chapter of Psalms, just in listening. And it's been an incredible, just, I'm not hearing everything, but there's so many things that I'm hearing, I'm like, wow, I never realized that. Or they're being really close to another story, and them coming together, it's like, oh, wow. And I was just thinking the other day, up until recently, guess how the majority of people heard or knew the Word of God by hearing it read. This access to a Bible printed in our language was non-existent until Gutenberg made it readily available to print. It was almost always read aloud. Anyways, this is an application I actually hadn't well, kind of had thought about, but anyway, so you desire to walk blamelessly. You you actually want to walk with God. You want your life to be practically lived out. It requires a knowledge of God's Word. It requires knowing Him. Why would we want to walk blamelessly? Because we want to be blessed, which means that we have a right relationship with God because we love Him. Our motivation is a love for Him. You want to be doubly blessed? Verse 2. Blessed are those who observe His testimonies. This is the doubly blessing. Right? He's blessed in verse 1 and blessed... He's talking about the same person. 
Because observing God's testimony is similar to walking in His law. He's just using different terminology to describe a similar thing. This is emphasis. When you see this, especially in poetic books, you see back-to-back things like this. This is to draw emphasis to us that this is important. This is utterly important. You want to be truly blessed? It's going to be walking in God's ways, in His law, and observing His testimonies. This, this observation, is it looking at something? No, it's doing what God has said. Not just living as though it's a thing What? oh, oh, look at how pretty God's Word is over there. So many people in this country are Christians are, are wanting the Ten Commandments back up in schools. It's great to have the Ten Commandments up, but guess what? If you don't observe them, it doesn't matter what you put up on the wall. You know the reason why the Ten Commandments on the wall were helpful? Because it reminded kids of what their parents said at home. That's not happening anymore. It's no surprise that the Ten Commandments are out of schools because parents aren't teaching their kids what God's law is and why we should obey. I don't want my children to become legalists either. That's why they hear the gospel every time they get a spanking in the bathroom. They need to know that they're a sinner. They need a Savior. And the reason they can't obey mommy and daddy the way they act like they want to is because they're sinners and they need Jesus to save their souls. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with some of their heart. Is that what it says? Some? No? What? I'm sure that's what mine, my version says. No, sorry. All. Or the word is actually the word whole, with their whole heart. Not just the part that they've sectioned off for God and then they still have their, you know, entertainment section of their heart and, and over here they've got their, um, spouse section of their heart. No. God wants everything. That doesn't mean we don't love our spouse, but it's, it's a love that grows out of loving God. You want to love your spouse correctly? Then love God with all your heart. You want to love your children correctly? I know it's hard to believe, but children are hard to love. You want to love your children right? Then love God with all your heart. Seek Him with all your heart. Don't give up. Are we going to keep His testimonies? Are we going to guard His testimonies in our seeking after God? You see here the practical walking in the law. Then we have keeping of the law. This is a mind and a, and a, a inner, and we're moving into the heart. We're seeking Him with all our heart. And say, well, 
What's the good of that? Well, look at me. Look with me at First Chronicles or Second Chronicles fifteen. Verse 1, Now the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Obed, Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. Which means if you're not with God, he's not with ye, you, right? And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So, if we seek God with all our heart, will we find him? I believe so. You're struggling against sin in your life. There's... You're not experiencing victory over a certain area of your life? Seek Him. And guess where you find Him? In His Word. In prayer. In fasting. Why? Because we find those things in God's Word. It's not going to be found in an Enneagram. I don't know if you've heard of those. But it's a true self-test. Guess what? Where are you going to find your true self? Not in an Enneagram. We don't need New Age spiritual devices to find out who we truly are. God's Word is clear. But many Christians are going to do these personality tests and like the Enneagram and there's, there's a lot of other uh, personality tests out there, and they're using those to define their life. They're not actually turning to God's Word. What do you say about me? What does your Word say about me? Guess what? The Enneagram doesn't talk about your true self, that sinful man that needs salvation. It doesn't deal with that. It just looks at personality traits from a psychological point of view, a secular point of view. Yet I've sat across from Christians and talked to them and said, Oh, man, the Enneagram really helped me understand and relate better to others. Yeah. And when I mentioned that they, the Enneagram was a, was borrowed from a cult Eastern religion, they looked at me in shock and anger, almost like, well, I can't believe you would say such a thing. I didn't say, I tried to be very gentle in the way I, I said, I essentially said, I, I, I have a problem with the Enneagram because of its relationship to Eastern religion and New Age spiritism. And they looked at me like, well, it's, it's, it's so helpful. It doesn't matter that it's actually a cult to the people because it's so helpful to them because they don't care anymore about God's Word. They care more about how they feel than about what God's Word says to their life. I'm sorry if I'm being a little uh, 
I'm not trying to be mean. So if I'm coming across as mean, it's not my intention. It's a concern that I have in my heart. I'm seeing so many people drawn astray by the devil's schemes because the church has so welcomed the world and we have stopped looking to God's Word for truth. We've started looking to so many other things and that bothers me so much. I look at so many people that I grew up with here at camps that I met through the years, at churches that we visited, um, and so many are not walking with God. And some of them are not only not walking with God, but they're proponing as Christian sexual sin of all kinds. Homosexuality. They're on social media. People that you and I know on social media arguing for transgender rights and homosexual rights as Christian. Why? Because there's some church out there that's not teaching the Word of God and they're not afraid of what God's Word says. They have no fear of God anymore. And so those people that I grew up with and my heart breaks for are being led astray because they don't know the Word of God. And they don't delight in God's Word. Where are they getting all their information? From some liberal, ungodly blog post or some liberal author. They're not reading God's Word to find truth. They're reading where no truth is absolute. Because our world doesn't believe in absolute truth anymore. Unless it's the absolute truth that if you put concrete in the ground, it's going to stay. It's funny. We want absolutes when it comes to construction. And we get more and more strict with construction rules. Yet, when it comes to our moral lives, we don't want foundation anymore. We just want... Freedom to do whatever we want. We want to be on the sand. I'm sorry, but guess what? The rules that apply in the natural world, in the physical world, apply to the Christian life. We need to be founded on something, and I guess what? It's not going to be founded on some psychological trash that's out there. So those who are doubly blessed, who are truly and fully blessed, that they're experiencing God's presence in their life, His provision, His protection, they also, not only do they walk in the law and observe and keep and guard His testimonies and seek Him with all their heart, it says they walk in His ways. Doesn't this seem like a repetition of verse 1? Right. The psalmist is trying to hammer home, likely to some young people. They're reading this psalm. He's writing this song so that young people will remember these phrases. So he's repeated it. He's using different words, right? Because you see, they walk in his ways. They walk in the law of the Lord. Are those not the same thing? I think so. God's ways will be found in His law, in His Word. 
and they do no unrighteousness. Oh, David, that's not possible. David, you're so naive to think such things. Well, David was already in the grave and waiting for the Savior when this was written. Turn with me to 1 John. Chapter 3, verse 9. Of course, you are all going to be ready to stone John too. I mean, how, how in the world could David say that? I mean, he didn't know about Jesus coming. You know, he didn't... He was just, oh, well, let's see what John says. John 3, verse 7. Little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Who? Who's he? Christ. The one who practices sin is of the devil. That person who lives in sin is of the devil because he is seed, or sorry, I skipped. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. You want a victorious life? Stop giving in to sin. I'm not saying, again, I, I have to fight sin, but I'm not just saying, well, you know what? Whatever goes, grace abound the more, the greater. Right? That's how some people use Romans chapter 6. Remember Paul? It's all of grace, so sin all the more so that God will get all the glory. No. God gets glory when our lives are transformed. Christ did not appear so that the works of the devil could coexist in the Christian life. He came to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy the grave, to have victory over sin. Verse 9, no one, John, come on, John, are you all ready to pick up stones? I'm sure that if he had said this in the ears of the Jews, they would have been ready to stone him. John says, no one who is born of God practices sin, lives in sin, chooses sin, because his seed, whose seed God's seed, abides in him. Why? Because, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. He's a child of God now. He, he doesn't want to sin. He fights it and he's living in freedom and victory over sin. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. 
What? You mean I can actually judge? Oh, that I could judge the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian based on the way they live? The choices they make? Yeah. It's sad when I find out that churches, one particular one in this community, does not deal with sexual sin in their midst. Joel probably actually knows which church I'm thinking about, but I just started getting my hair cut by a young lady in our community who is living or was living with her partner and she described him. And this same person goes to that church. And it breaks my heart because this girl needs to know the truth because her life is leading her to hell. Because she is not being taught the truth from the pulpit. Because her pastor is more concerned with having a moral Christianity that doesn't even go to God's Word, well, as long as you feel good. I don't know this this pastor very well. I've seen him around. But it concerns me. They're more concerned about having the members in their, the people at the church than they are about speaking the truth. Again, I've never heard a message by this person. And it's not someone that, well, some of you might know this person, but it's not someone that came out of this church or anything like that. But it concerns me to see the lack of care that many in the church, especially some who call themselves pastors, have for their sheep. They're leading their sheep astray because they're unwilling to deal with sin. I heard a message uh, last Sunday. We visited a church and the guy was an intern, but he wasn't afraid to speak about sin, which kind of shocked Megan and I because the vibe of the church didn't quite fit the message that we heard. <laughs> I don't know why there's a disconnect there, but the message was a solid gospel message, but the the vibe was a little different. Um but it's sad when you see someone who has not been preaching long and their delivery is very choppy and reading straight from a transcript, yet they speak more truth than someone who has a charismatic um, means of teaching from a pulpit, yet in reality they're teaching their congregants to continue to live in sin. God will just forgive you. It'll be okay. God isn't calling you to live a holy life. You can just live however you want. Well, John has a different word. John ends verse 10. He says, anyone, anyone, everyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. 
If you just took this clip and put it on TikTok or any of those other um, short GIF, Instagram, whatever, see how many likes you get on this one. You think you're going to get many likes? I don't think so. Not unless all your friends are true believers, because this message is not popular anymore. I, honestly, I don't know that it's always ever been truly popular. Except when the Holy Spirit's moving in people's hearts. How in the world would we know how to practice righteousness? You say, oh, if we're supposed to be practicing righteousness, how would we know? Well, verse 4. Now we're looking at God. He says, you, God, have ordained your precepts that I should keep them diligently. You want to know how to live righteously? God has ordained, or this word ordained is better translated, commanded his precepts that you, that we should keep them diligently. This word translated diligently is actually the word very, but it's hard to translate keep very into English. Or keep them to the extreme, to keep them with all our heart. That's the idea. To be careful to keep them diligently. Not legalistically, oh, let's add on some other things just in case we might fall over into the sin. Not as a moralism, okay, if we do these things, then God will love us. No, that's not what he's talking about. When we keep God's law diligently, we do it from a right heart. It's not just that we do the right things. It's all the way into our heart. Seek me with all your heart, not seek me with all your doings. Have we committed to keep God's word diligently? Well, that's what the psalmist is about to do, right? He's talked about those who are blessed, those who are doubly blessed. Now, what is he doing? He talks about how God has commanded that His precepts be kept by us so that we could keep them and keep them diligently. Now He's about to cry out. Verse 5 is the apex or the the change of this, this section. He says, Oh! Or, if only... If only my ways may be established. Oh, that my ways may be established. This is his longing. He wants to be firm in foundation. He doesn't want to be on sifting sand. He wants to be firmly founded. 
He wants his ways to be established. How many of you have driven on a dirt road? Pretty good when it's dry out, right? Not too bad. Do you want to drive on that road, uh, say, last week? Or the week before that? Or the week before that? No, it's been raining like for, it's almost like spring all over again. But do you want to go out on that those dirt roads in the mud in your, uh, let's use a car that we know would not do well, a Prius? Do you think your Prius would survive uh, a drive on a dirt road after it has rained torrentially? No. You might take your mudding truck out there or your jacked up Jeep with the big knobby tires. Why? Because it's made to go in the dirt. But when it's rained, you don't want to drive on dirt roads. What do you want to drive on? Asphalt, or even better, concrete. You want your ways to be ways that are established, that are sturdy and strong. That's how I look at his cry. He wants the road that he's traveling on to be a road that is firmly established. It's not moving. Guess what? God's ways are that way. The straight and narrow is the only way. And guess what? We have a forerunner who went before us and laid the foundation of every step that we need to take. And he sent his spirit in Ezekiel 36 so that we would walk in his ways. He's given us a new spirit. He's taken our old filthy heart and given us a new one so that we will seek Him with all our heart. David is crying out, Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Not be established so that I can do whatever I want to be established because I want to keep your statutes because I know when I keep your statutes, I'll be blessed because I'll be walking with you. I'll have an intimate relationship with you. Proverbs 16, verse 9, says this. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You want to be firm? You want your ways to be established? Seek the Lord. Don't go and read that author that I haven't named. If you want to know, you can ask me later. Because I haven't read a lot of his stuff, so I don't want to throw everything he's written out out the door. But read the Word. Saturate yourself in the Word. When was the last time you took a good long 
sip of God's Word, when it was refreshing to you, just read it. Don't, don't do anything else. Just read it. It's interesting. Most chap, most books of the Bible can be read in two hours. Not all. Like the Psalms takes about four and a half, according to my, uh, my reading recording that I have. But a large chunk of the Bible books are readable in a couple hours. I would encourage you to maybe make a commitment to read one chapter a month, or one book, sorry, one book of the Bible in one sitting. Just sit down and say, I'm going to read the book of Genesis without stopping. I'm going to read this book without stopping. Not just to get through it, but so that you can know God. Why? Because God's Word, this here, is God's picture of Himself. It tells us about how God works. It tells us about God, what, what God expects. It tells us who Jesus is. We see God's mercy from page one to the very end. We see His grace, despite what many that Christian uh, artists who walked away, despite what he thought about the Old Testament, there is so much mercy and grace in the Old Testament. The same God today, yesterday, and forever. God has not changed. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. If that would happen, guess what? Verse five, verse six, then I shall not be ashamed. What? You wouldn't be ashamed because you're keeping his statutes? Uh, that doesn't make sense. What are, what are things that cause most people to be ashamed in our world today? Saying that sin is real? Many people are afraid to deal with sin on their Twitter and Facebook and whatever accounts. Or they're afraid of being canceled being shamed for speaking truth? They're afraid that they'll be canceled by multi-million dollar corporations if they actually talk about the truth that they believe? I'm not talking about just Christians here. I'm talking about people who have gotten canceled lately. Unfortunately, Christians are shutting up too. They're afraid of truth. They're afraid to speak truth about political leaders. I'm not talking about gossip. I'm not talking about dishonoring political leaders. I'm talking about being truthful about sin and not adoring a political leader. And I don't care who that political leader is, whether it's our previous president or our current president.
You know what? If I don't want to be ashamed, guess what? I need my political party to win. Then I won't be ashamed anymore. Isn't that how people live? We have replaced God with political parties, with the right way of thinking, instead of knowing God's Word. You want to be unashamed? Guess who is the one who brings the greatest shame that lasts for eternity? God. God is a judge. He's not just that loving teddy bear. I'm not saying that God isn't love. He is love. But because He is loving, He is just. He will not tolerate sin. You want to know how loving God is? There was only one way that you and I could experience a relationship with Him. And that required Him sending His Son to the cross to die. If that isn't justice, if that is not righteousness, I don't know what is. That is a picture of love that cannot be pictured or shown in our world. No man in their right mind would send their only son to die for his own enemies. But God did. And that was the only, the only way of having relationship with Him. Maybe if... Maybe I won't be ashamed if I get all the Twitter followers to like me. Maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe if I get a million, oh, let's, let's bump that up. Maybe if I get a hundred million YouTube subscribers, that'll keep me from being ashamed. Maybe, maybe if I have billions of dollars, I won't be ashamed. <coughs> no. Then I will not be ashamed when, this is a temporal clause, when I look upon all your commandments. Why? Because he's walking in them. He is diligently keeping them. He's been established. His way is established. So when he looks with Fervency, when he fixes his gaze on the commandments of the Lord, all of them, he is not ashamed. Why? Because God is everything to him. He's not looking at Twitter to find out if he should be ashamed or not. He's looking to God's Word. He's not looking on the news media to see if they've canceled him today. Because he's looking to God's Word. God's Word tells him what truth is. And he's not letting the world define what shame should be. You know who should be ashamed? Pastors who fail to preach the truth. You know who should be ashamed? Christians who fail to teach the truth because they're afraid that the world will cancel them. I'm not saying I'm perfect, okay? I'm not, I'm getting a little excited, but I don't want to be ashamed because I didn't tell my children the truth. 
about God's Word. What God expects from us through the power of His Spirit. Not in our own strength. This is something that Christ purchased for us on the cross. There will be many who stand before Christ and their shame will be known to all. Their judgment will come because God will say, I never knew you, but I preached. I never knew you. I cast out demons. I never knew you. I had the biggest ministry and the biggest church in the United States. I never knew you. I led thousands to Christ. I never knew you. What will we hear? Will we be ashamed? Because we're looking at all the wrong things. We're relying on our own ability to be shameless instead of looking to God and His commandments. When His ways are established to keep God's statutes, verse 7, it says, I shall give thanks or I will give praise to you with uprightness of heart. I will praise you. This should be the result, right, of being founded in God. I will give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Or when I learn your judgments of righteousness. When we read God's Word and His commands, His conviction comes in our life, do we rejoice? Do we praise God? Thank you, Lord, for convicting me of sin. Thank you, Lord, for showing me the truth of Your Word so that I can honor You and glorify You and be blessed by You. Is that how we respond to conviction? Or we go home pouting like, why does God only convict me and Joel gets to go home happy? I'm using Joel because I know he can handle it. Uh, it doesn't make a difference who God convicts. We should be thankful that God doesn't leave us alone. We all need to be ashamed of sin and running wholeheartedly after the Lord. But you can't wholeheartedly follow the Lord if you're not spending time with Him. God has revealed Himself in His Word. Do we give thanks to Him when He speaks to us through His Word? Are we rejoicing over His Word? Is it a delight of our heart? David ends in verse 8. He says, I shall keep your statutes. It's interesting. In this verse, in the Hebrew, your statutes is first. 
So if you remember English, the direct object is the is first in the sentence, which is not common in Hebrew. I believe this is a sign of emphasis. That he's putting the direct object first, so it would be like, your statutes I shall keep. Not the statutes of Twitter laws, or Facebook laws, or Instagram, their rules. I will keep your statutes, not the rules of those who want to cancel us, or those who don't like us because we're not political enough as Christians. Because that goes to both sides of the aisle. That's not just Democrats. Republican conservatives are also, I can't believe you're not all bought in on this political party action. Well, I'm not buying in because I have a Savior, and His name isn't name the person. Men pass on. Some men pass on in a very crazy way, but no matter who is in power, God is sovereign on His throne. He hasn't looked down and said, Oh no, what happened? I didn't want Biden to win. I don't know how everything happened, whether it was legal or not. I really don't care because I have a God who's on his throne, and he can be trusted. Whether Trump or Biden is on the throne of the United States. Our world is changing, yes. But maybe it's for the better, for Christians. Maybe we need persecution so that we will stop acting like the world and start relying on God and His Word instead of a political party to save us from our problems. If a political party can fix your problems, it's not a problem. I'm just going to say. Because the biggest problem we have is sin. So whose statutes should we be keeping? God's. His statutes. Not what our country says. Not saying we should disobey the laws of our land, but let's say it becomes illegal to gather physically as a body. Are we going to all go to Zoom? I'm not. I may be gathering with myself, but I'm going to be gathering with somebody who's a believer. I'm not quitting because it's illegal. Guess what? In Canada, this is happening. You cannot legally meet as a church. You think that's far from happening here? We saw what happened even in our own state when people tried to meet together. State troopers showing up at churches, whether I agree with their theology or not, that's not the question, but just proves that we will have to make a commitment as Christians. We will keep God's statutes, whether that aligns us with our government or not. We will seek to obey the commands of 
and the rules of our nation, but when they do not line up with God's Word, we're not going to keep them. We're going to keep God's statutes no matter the cost. So the question is, whose statutes will you keep? God's? Maybe conservative Christians' statutes? The the legalist statutes, the moralism statutes, the behavior statutes, oh, the psychological statutes. No, we need to obey God's statutes, and we're not going to find them in every book that we read. We're going to find them in God's Word. And in case you and I think that we can do this on our own, David ends with this. Do not forsake me utterly. Don't forsake me. Don't leave me alone. Don't forsake me to the extreme thoroughly. Again, this word utterly is actually the same word very. So don't forsake me very. Don't very forsake me. That just does not translate into English, right? We don't want God to forsake us. If you're forsaken of God, is that blessing or a curse? It is the curse that defines hell. To be utterly forsaken of God for eternity. That's what hell is. David does not want to be left alone. He knows that God must go with him if he is to obey him. And we as Christians, we have even more than what David understood. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have the Holy Spirit given to us so that we can walk in holiness. Not so that we can live like the world around us, but so that we can follow God and experience His blessing. And not a blessing that only applies to your spiritual life. but that should be the most important. This applies to the physical realm as well. Right? The Bible says, may your... uh, Man, I just forgot the quote. As your soul prospers, what's the first half? May you prosper even as your soul prospers. I desire to prosper spiritually... And guess what? When that happens, God will provide the needs that I have. There are so many passages, especially in the New Testament, Jesus says, don't worry for food and drink and raiment, for even the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. They don't worry about these things and God provides them. How much more does He care to give those things to us? Let's pray. Lord, we desire to be blessed. Not so that we can have all the things that this world wants. We want to be blessed, Lord, because we want, we know that when someone is blessed of you, it's because they delight in you. They delight in your word and they have a relationship with you of deep intimacy. Lord, draw us to yourself. Give us a hunger and thirst for your word. 
a longing to know you, that your spirit would move through us and enlighten your word to our hearts, illumine the truth of your scripture to our lives. Lord, we desire to walk in your ways, to love you above all things, and above all, to keep your statutes. Give us courage, give us wisdom, and give us strength this week to apply your word to our lives, to read your word, to understand your word, to delight in your word. Guide us, Lord, by your Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.